This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Pollution from vehicle traffic doesn't just happen in the atmosphere. It can also happen to the air inside your car. An expert shares research on the potential health effects of in-car pollution. Well, we expected that we would see a lot of these numbers to be a little bit higher inside the cars, but we were a little bit surprised that they were as much higher as they were from the roadside measurements. Then, many women are unaware that a breast cancer screening may result in overdiagnosis, followed by overtreatment. How can you make an informed decision? Overdiagnosis can often give rise to overtreatment. The idea that some breast cancers that are going to be treated with surgery or medications would not have actually needed such treatment after all. All that and more is coming your way on this week's show. Don't go away. InfoTrack comes your way right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Measurements of vehicle pollution are usually made with roadside sensors. But now, a study has been made of the pollution levels inside vehicles. InfoTrack's Roy Mackey has the story. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Roby Greenwald is an assistant professor in the Division of Environmental Health at the School of Public Health at Georgia State University, and he was a co-author of the study. So, Dr. Greenwald, I understand that you took a look at the amount of pollution inside commuters' cars as they drove during rush hour? Yes, that is correct. We were measuring the amount of air pollution that people are exposed to while they're driving to work, so we were making these measurements inside the cars since that's where people are sitting when they're actually driving. And I understand this is the first study that looked at this from inside driver's cars, right? Yeah, the more traditional approach has been to set up air quality monitors along the side of the roadways that, you know, since you can run them 24 hours a day, you can get there and attend to the instruments without having to get into a car, things like that. It's a much easier way to do it, but nobody had ever actually looked at the difference between measuring it next to the roadway and actually being inside the car where people are sitting. So give us the results of what you found in terms of how much pollution people are exposed to as they drive to work. Well, we expected that we would see a lot of these numbers to be a little bit higher inside the car, since when you're in a car in the middle of the freeway, you're right in the plume of where all the other vehicles around you are emitting pollutants out of their tailpipes or from their brake pads or whatever. So we expected things to be a little bit higher, but we were a little bit surprised that they were as much higher as they were from the roadside measurements. Can you give us some sort of quantification? How high are they? Are they what you would call dangerous levels? It depends on which pollutant you're talking about. If you're talking about things that are coming straight from the tailpipes of motor vehicles, then, yeah, they were significantly higher inside the car. could be as much as twice as high inside the car as they were next to the roadway. If you're talking about things that are more spatially distributed in the air, you know, things that come from much further away that aren't coming right from the roadways, then it really wasn't any different inside the car than it was outside. So the kinds of things that fall into that category would be particles that are produced by burning coal to generate electricity since that's usually done you know a long ways away from the city but for some of the things that are coming from burning fuel in engines you know like black carbon set particles coming from diesel vehicles or the things that are coming from the brake pads on the cars cars in front of you hit their brakes you know they shed particles off those brake pads and those are highest in concentration right there in the middle of the freeway and those are the kind of things that we saw to be higher inside the car. I know it's crossed my mind as I'm driving in heavy traffic that, well, maybe I'll keep my windows rolled up just because of all the pollution and so forth, but does it make any difference? 
it does make a difference, but the difference is probably not as big as you think it will be. It also depends on what kind of car you have, or really more specifically, how old your car is. The rubber seals around the doors and windows in your car tend to age over the course of a couple of years, and so they get a lot more leaks into them. So you might not necessarily notice that it's leaking. It's not like it's leaking water when it rains, but it'll allow a draft of air to get in pretty easily, especially when you're driving at a higher speed. And so we did a lot of measurements where we had the people in the cars roll their windows down and then put them back up again, you know, every 15 minutes or so, and we would look at the differences when they did that. And on a new car, you could definitely see a difference when the windows are up. And down on some old cars, you really couldn't see a difference. But even on the best cars, even the brand new cars, when the windows were up, you could still see big changes in the pollutants inside the car. When, for example, a particularly dirty truck or a particularly dirty car went past you, you would see the particles coming from that vehicle would infiltrate inside your vehicle, even if it was a new car with windows rolled up and a good air quality filter on its circulation system. Now, your study did it examine high-speed interstate driving as opposed to, for example, just stop and go stuck in traffic driving. We had a route around Atlanta that we tended to follow most of the time. It was on the perimeter highway I-285, and we did this at rush hour. In any given day, you don't know what the traffic conditions are going to be like. You know, usually the traffic can be pretty heavy, but you don't know if there's going to be an accident or something special going on that caused the traffic to be stopped. So we didn't really plan on that. We just took it as it came. So sometimes the traffic was pretty free flowing. People would be going 50, 60, 70 miles an hour on certain stretches of the highway. Other times they'd be stuck in bumper to bumper traffic jams where everybody's just stopping and starting. A lot of idling cars, and we did see big differences in what kinds of air pollution is present on the highways under those different conditions. Yeah, can you describe that? Presumably, as you're driving high speed, it's not so bad. There are differences more complicated than just high speed. So, how concentrated a lot of the different types of particles are depends on how many vehicles are around you, as much as it does anything. So, even at high speed, you can still have quite a few cars that are within the general vicinity of you. But the kinds of particles you saw would be a little bit different. For example, under conditions where people are having to use their brakes a lot, we would see a lot more of the particles that are generated by brake pads than you would from the particles that are coming from burning the fuel. However, if you're in an area where there's a lot more diesel trucks, then we really start to see a lot more of these soot particles that are coming from diesel engines, as opposed to some of the different types of particles coming from gasoline engines. Our guest on InfoTrack is Professor Roby Greenwald from Georgia State University. He was the co-author of a study that looked at the amount of pollution that gets inside a car as you're driving to work. So why should people be concerned about this in terms of their own personal health? We know that these types of particles definitely have an effect on your health. We were making health measurements in the participants who were driving in this study, and we were, saw differences in some of the measures of airway oxidative stress and some of the variables that are related to heart rate and heart rate variability. If we could relate some of those differences to the specific types of particles that we were measuring inside the cars, and we did see some differences. But we know that over the long term, remember this is a short-term study, but over the long term when you're exposed to these things day in, day out, we can tell from epidemiology data that there's clearly a very pronounced effect of being exposed to these particles, and it has a pronounced effect on mortality from 
cardiovascular disease, from respiratory diseases and things like that. And so the exposure to these things every single day kind of adds up over the course of years to increase the incidence of those types of diseases. I tell this to my students a lot in class, and it always comes as a little bit of a surprise to them. But if you were to add up the total number of people in the United States who die from being in a collision from motor vehicles, 30-something thousand people per year, you add up the number of people in the United States who die because they were exposed to air pollution emissions that came from motor vehicles, it's actually a bigger number. More people dying from breathing the air that comes from the air pollution that comes from these vehicles than they are from actually being in a collision with a vehicle. So there may be some obvious answers, but what advice can you offer to drivers based upon what you've learned in these studies? First of all, when we choose transportation plans in a big city, you know, and of course it's a very complicated process that goes on for decades. You have to go back in time to the 50s or even before that to see how being so dependent on motor vehicles kind of developed as a transportation system in many cities in the United States. Well, you know, we can't really turn the clock back and necessarily make changes overnight that would change the distribution of transportation modes, but we do see that there is a health risk that's pretty significant to people living in cities that comes from having a transportation system that's centered around this one particular mode of transportation that produces the most air pollution. One recommendation I have to mention first is that, well, if we were to try to diversify our transportation system a little bit and reduce the number of vehicles on roadways, that would have a huge effect on this problem. But since that is a more complicated problem and it's beyond the ability of a single individual to actually make a change for themselves, you know, if you're stuck having to drive to work, what can you do to reduce your exposure to these types of particles? Then the recommendation I'd make was, well, keep your windows up when you're on the highway. Use the recirculation setting on your air conditioner. If you have a good filter for your air conditioning in your car, make sure that filter is maintained and changed frequently, and that will reduce the number of particles that get inside the vehicle. But at the end of the day, there's not necessarily a lot that you can do that's within your power to do. Uh, You still have to go to work at a certain time of day. That's when everybody else does. There will be a lot of cars on the road. There's not much you can do about that. Roby Greenwald, Assistant Professor in the Division of Environmental Health at the School of Public Health at Georgia State University. Thank you very much for sharing your results with us. Thank you. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. Next, surprising research on breast cancer screening and overdiagnosis. That story coming up. Stick around, there's more InfoTrack straight ahead.